Why do we want to go to heaven? Nearly everyone says, if you ask them, yes, I want to go to heaven. Why? What do you want? What's there? Well, I can't speak for those who have no hope, but for me, it is to see someone. The persons. My mom, my dad, my brother and friends who've gone before me, some who have left this church, Lee, Anne, Arlene, Bob, Burnett, and mostly, of course, we want to see Jesus. The things in the new heaven and new earth will be amazing. What we will be able to do there <laughs> will be fantastic. But it's the fellowship, the love that we will share that most draws us. Things are important because they are attached to people. Their value comes from those who touch them, who invested their lives in them. A little aside, I have a Bible. This ugly thing, torn, torn to pieces, fallen, pages gone, missing. Things fallen to pieces, and I keep it. Important place on my bookshelf because that was my dad's preaching Bible. The Bible itself I mean, is worthless. <laughs> it should be recycled. <laughs> but no. The early church gave things, gifts, to cause the growth of the gospel. Amazing things happen to bring this good news of Jesus Christ to Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth to bring it to those who would become our ancestors in the faith. But the things, as amazing as they are, would have had no real significance were it not for the people God used as agents in whose hands those gifts were placed and by whose hands the actions took place. Luke has spent some time telling his readers how the gospel spread among the Old Testament believers, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and who God used to do the work, Peter, John, Stephen, Philip, James, etc., but the good news of Jesus has now gone beyond the Jews to the Gentiles. It is going to the end of the earth. The church will be, in fact, primarily Gentile from this time on. So Luke will now focus on the mission of Paul to the Gentiles. But Paul could not do this alone. No matter how capable he is, he is a mere man. He needs the help of others. In this short section, Acts 15, 35 to 16, 12, most of the major players in Paul's life are highlighted, along with problems with, with which they had to deal. I think looking at how the people of Acts dealt with each other can teach how we might deal with one another. Let's jump right in. Well, first we better get our setting. Paul and Barnabas have been teaching in Antioch for a few years after their first missionary journey, and everything's been going great. Then some men come from the church in Jerusalem and say, Hey, what's up, guys? <laughs> if you're going to be Christians, you've got to get circumcised and live like Jews. Paul and Barnabas said, No, we're Jews. They're Gentiles. Jesus didn't come to make more Jews. It's okay to live like Gentiles as believers in Jesus Christ. The guys from Jerusalem were sure they were right. Paul and Barnabas were sure they were. 
Now, the church in Antioch was sure Paul and Barnabas were right, <laughs> but they didn't want to just stomp on their Jewish brothers, so they sent a delegation, obviously including Paul and Barnabas, to Jerusalem to ask the apostles about it, to ask those guys who walked with Jesus physically. And when they said, Gentiles get to be Gentiles, <laughs> the issue was settled. So now it's their turn to send a, de a delegation the other direction to Antioch to let them know the good news. In fact, they even put together a letter to copy and send out to all of the Gentile churches to let them know they could join the church and still be Gentiles. But please respect your Jewish brothers with your behavior. The delegation comes to Antioch, has a wonderful time, and eventually returns to Jerusalem, but... Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others. Paul and Barnabas, the original dynamic duo. <laughs> but notice they were not alone. We only read about a limited number of people in the New Testament, but there were a great many who were more than capable of teaching and preaching the word of the Lord. Maybe this is a first lesson to us. Sure, we're important in the lives of each person God brings close to us. But there are others out there doing the work of the Lord as well. So be encouraged. And from the other side, we have to understand that we aren't the only workers in the church. Okay, funny story. This guy graduated from MIT, top of his class. He's in for a job interview. The personnel guy has gone through all the paperwork and they've discussed the position in some detail. He says, yeah. You did very well in school. The projects you were involved in match our work here. I think I'd like to offer the position to you. The applicant says, that's great. Thank you. Well, you've earned it. And speaking of earnings, what do you think would be reasonable compensation to you for this work? The MIT grad swallows hard and decides to go for it. Well, I think 80K a year, four weeks paid vacation, and a company car. The interviewer leans back in his chair and studies the kid for a few moments. Then he leans forward and says, how about a Tesla for a company car? Eight weeks paid vacation and 160 k a year. The applicant is overwhelmed and he says, Wow, that's fantastic. Are you kidding? The interviewer leans back and says, Yeah, but you started it. <laughs> you know, we're all, we're all of ultimate value in God's eyes, but let's not think that we're all that great <laughs> or that we are indispensable. There are many others also. Paul knew that, and so he got this idea. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. What a great idea. They aren't needed in Antioch. There are others who can preach and teach, so let's go for it. The trusty twosome will hit the road again. What a tremendous thing. Barnabas had become one of Paul's great friends, Barnabas was the one to bring Paul to the leaders in Jerusalem after he became a believer and quit persecuting the church. Barnabas was the one who brought Paul from Tarsus, his hometown, to Antioch where he could share and start his ministry. Barnabas accompanied Paul when they brought the famine relief to Jerusalem. He accompanied him through the years of his first missionary journey. And of course, Barnabas went to Jerusalem with Paul to argue the case for Gentile freedom in Christ. And don't forget the years of teaching together in Antioch. These were close friends. What better man can you imagine to accompany Paul on his second missionary tour? Who else could it be? So they want to get started. This would be a few years' journey. Who will they add to their team? 
Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Let's stop here and discuss Mark. Yes, this is the Mark that most believe penned the gospel. But that was years later. So why didn't Paul want to take him along on this trip now? John Mark. You may remember that Barnabas and Paul, then still going by his Jewish name Saul, stayed in Mark's mom's house, uh, Acts 12.25 if you want to look it up, when they brought the famine relief gift from Antioch to Jerusalem. Paul saw some potential in him, and so they brought him back to Antioch with them. When God led Paul and Barnabas to make the first missionary journey, they took John Mark along, and he left them after the first relatively easy leg of the campaign. When the going got tough, Mark got going. Uh, he left. <laughs> Come on, Paul, that was two years ago. Lots of water under the bridge. Forgive and forget, okay? But Paul says, no. Why? Well, nobody thinks it's because Paul was being vindictive. He was way past that in his spiritual life. Most everyone thinks he was very concerned with the work. Spreading the good news of Jesus Christ was the critical issue to Paul. If bringing Mark along would jeopardize this work, there's no way Paul would allow it. I think there's definitely something to that thought, but maybe there's even more. Maybe Paul is concerned with the welfare of Mark. Some years later, Paul would write to another young man whose faith he had helped develop. He gave him some instructions on choosing leaders for the amazing number of new churches, including this. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Is there a chance that Paul's primary concern, or at least a concern, is the spiritual state of John Mark? I think it could be. Remember, Mark has an absentee dad. Maybe he's dead. We don't know. He's just not there. And we all know, and Paul knew, that not having a dad who cares for you makes it more difficult to, amongst other things, accept criticism. And we know that Mark took this rejection of Paul's wealth. Maybe Paul made it clear he was concerned that Mark might become puffed up with conceit and, like the devil, suffer the consequences of pride. Could be. And if that is the case, and Mark stuck it out all the way through the trip with his cousin Barnabas, whose name means the son of encouragement, remember, that would explain why he was able to grow. If you didn't already know, later both Paul and Peter make specific mention of Mark in very positive ways in their letters. And as we've already said, we believe Mark penned the gospel from Peter's point of view. So what's the point of all this? I mean, how does it relate to us? When we must correct someone... <laughs> It would be good for us to be thinking of their well-being. Remember, things that are or things that happen are only important as they relate to the persons involved. If we have to use tough love, let's make sure the love is focused on the other person and not on ourselves. I think that was the case with Paul. But even when our focus is right, we might be wrong. It seems either Paul or Barnabas or both of them made a mistake here. And I suppose we should first consider Mark's thoughts. One of his mentors was wrong. Made a mistake concerning him. Maybe both of them did. 
But somehow he, Mark, got it right. He got back up again. Maybe because he had gotten it so wrong in the past, he could look past one mistake on the part of the men that he looked up to. I've certainly made mistakes. I still remember the last one. 1983. <laughs> of course, the truth is that we're lucky to make it out of the house with some sort of sin, actual sin in our lives. And it might be good to remember that when we need to be patient with others who sinned against us or just made a mistake. But back to Paul and Barnabas, the dynamic duo. They have separated in disagreement. Just a few verses ago, Luke recorded the wonderful parting of the Jerusalem delegation from Antioch. They departed in peace, he said. And just months later, our heroes can't come to an agreement. Now, it's easy to recognize God's work here. Two of the greatest evangelists of all time, he wanted them to make separate trips, split them up and double the effect. But what did it look like to Paul and Barnabas? You have to understand that these trips took two or more years to complete. They all needed the fellowship of good friends. We all need the fellowship of good friends. Plus, Paul was still working out his theology. And you know, you should never do theology alone. We'll make mistakes for sure. God had used Barnabas to sharpen Paul. Don't forget that great proverb written centuries before. Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Paul and Barnabas both understood this. They were good for each other. Now we know from Paul's letters that he and Barnabas remained great friends and that he retained a very high reputation, opinion of Barnabas. There are people that I deeply love. Committed Christians. People I learned from, but people I could never work in ministry with. <laughs> and there are those we could work with, but God wants us separated. He wants us in different places, and that's okay. And maybe God wanted them, Paul and Barnabas, to struggle in their relationship. Because if they did, and they made it through, then their relationship would be much stronger. God may allow us to build our relationships in just such a way through trouble and even through disagreement. But Paul still has a problem. He still needs a mature believer who knows the scriptures to help him on this quest. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. When you first look at this, you might think that Barnabas was not commended by the brothers, but that's not the case. Uh, it's simply that Luke is going to follow Paul's activities, so his purpose is to ensure his readers know Paul has the church in Antioch behind him. And he chose Silas, sometimes called by his formal name, Silvanus. We already know a good amount about Silas' character because the church in Jerusalem thought enough of him to send him as one of their delegates to Antioch. And apparently... Silas liked the folks in Antioch enough that he came back from Jerusalem again. It must have torn Paul's heart to be parted from his good friend Barnabas. But what a replacement God bought. For instance, when the work in Philippi heated up, 
They were thrown in prison, and about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Wow! When you can pray and sing hymns with someone while in stocks in prison, you have found a great companion. Happy hikers are the best hikers. <laughs> they soon go to Thessalonica, where serious opposition from the Jews grew. These contrary Israelites inflamed the Gentile unbelievers such that the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. However, Luke says, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. But, of course, it gets interesting real fast. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there to agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Fine. You don't like Paul teaching here? We'll send him away. But Silas stayed there, the secret weapon. <laughs> he was able to teach as well. Silas became one of Paul's great friends. He mentions him a number of times in his letters. If God takes a good friend and fellow worker away, we can rest assured that he will supply another. But we need more than fellow workers and friends. Mature Christians need more than peers. They need someone to mentor. Paul had Mark, but he's now with Barnabas. So God sends Paul a replacement who will be with him all his life. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there, named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Let's look at this introduction of Paul's number one pupil. His mother is a Jewish Christian. But his father is a Greek who apparently never comes to faith. Timothy, though, has a good reputation in the Twin Cities. Parents do indeed influence their children significantly, but did you notice that Luke does not talk about Timothy's parents' opinion of him? <laughs> it's the opinion of those in the church that he finds important. We, too, must be careful to consider the source when we evaluate workers for the cause of Christ, how they work for Christ but they're willing to do for Christ. And sure enough, we now get to see the level of Timothy's commitment. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, right off the bat, we're thinking, Hey, Paul, didn't you just fight a major battle because you didn't think Greeks should have to get circumcised when they became Christians? What's happening here? <laughs> Let's look at the next two verses. And they went on their way through the cities and delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. Luke immediately reminds us that Paul is, in fact, shouting out, Gentiles don't have to get circumcised. So why did Paul have Timothy circumcised? Well, actually, it's because that community was a lot like the South Beach. Everybody really knows everything that's happening. <laughs> Paul didn't likely circumcise Timothy himself. He would have brought him to the local synagogue where the rabbi in charge would perform the ceremony. And every Jew in town would hear about it. All of them. And every Jew in town had heard that Paul was trying to destroy the Jewish faith. But Paul knew that Jesus came to fulfill the law. 
and that many of his brothers in the flesh, the Jews, would become believers in Christ and teachers in the church if they didn't have a stumbling block put in front of them. The law, circumcision, doesn't save. But it doesn't condemn either. Paul knew that those Jews would listen if they heard he had Timothy circumcised. So that's what he did. The same reason he didn't take Mark. The message, the good news of Jesus, the gospel, is the most important thing in his work. Paul wanted a chance to be heard when he talked about Jesus. One of my profs used to say, there's no point in needlessly offending a culture, the Jewish culture in this case. If it doesn't matter, let it go. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to go talk with bikers about Jesus, don't show up in a three-piece suit. Okay? And if you're going to talk with businessmen, don't come in chaps and leather. Okay? It's clear enough. But I said we're going to see the level of Timothy's commitment, and so we do. I mean, come on now. Let me borrow from the comedian Jim Gaffigan. Go ahead and look up the meaning of the word circumcision in the dictionary. It's ouch! <laughs> and the second meaning is ouch! <laughs> do you know any guy who's going to jump up and down with excitement because he's going to get circumcised? <laughs> There's a reason it's supposed to happen when you're a baby. Timothy demonstrated his strong commitment to the good news of Jesus. He is deeply committed. And people deeply committed to the faith have a depth of influence to match. Did you know that Timothy is mentioned by name in 13 New Testament books? A second generation young Christian pastor, 13 books, including the two letters of Paul written specifically to him. Those two letters with the one to Titus are called the pastoral epistles, epistles and give some of the most direct functional teaching to the churches in the entire Bible. And Timothy owned Paul's heart. Listen to a few of these quotes from Paul's letters to him. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you. O oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. Paul started the very last letter he ever wrote with these words. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. In this same letter he also says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. 
But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Would you not love to reside in a great person's heart like Timothy did in Paul's? Would you not love to be trusted so completely? But our point today is this. Every mature Christian needs to be mentoring someone to be challenging a person younger in the faith to do what God has called them to do. Now, for most of us, it won't be preaching or rebuking or exhorting, (laughs) but it will be something. And for sure, it will be living a godly life. There's one more quote from Paul's last letter I'd like to read to you. Paul, knowing he will soon be executed, writes, Do your best to come to me soon. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Come to me soon. Bring Mark. Luke alone is with me. Poignant words. We read some poignant words written by Paul a few decades after Luke's record in Acts. And back there in Acts we find some frankly, curious words. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, and having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mycenae, they attempted to go on to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas. The Spirit is not allowing them? (laughs) Are you confused? I think Paul is too. So he heads to Troas. Well, that little statement just doesn't carry all the meaning. Look at this map. You see they were off there in the east, on the right, in the Phrygian region where those cities are. And then you see Troas all the way (laughs) over, further than the entire distance from Antioch to where they are now. I know God was leading Paul. But God often uses human causes to bring about his plan. So was there a human reason Paul went all the way to Troas? (laughs) Let's listen to these verses and see if we can pick it up. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. We, us, we, we remained in this city some days. Luke, who Paul later called the beloved physician, lived in Troas at this time. After Paul got there, God confirmed that he had gone the right way. Now just go across the bay and do your job. Paul, back when he was way east, 
had to feel like he was beating his head against the wall. All right, Silas and Timothy, let's go do ministry over there. And the Spirit says, no. Okay, how about over there? No. Here? No. (laughs) Paul has got to be wondering, do I even know what God wants me to do with my life? It seems so clear, but now... I wonder if when he realized he had to head west, (laughs) he decided to go all the way to Troas because that's where his good friend and advisor Luke lived. I think sometimes we need to seek out old friends who are spiritually mature. Maybe Paul went to Luke and said, I thought I knew what God wanted me to do, but everywhere I turned, I found I was wrong. Could you pray with me and help me discover once again what God's will for my life is? If that's what happened, God answered him with some pretty clear instructions. And Paul knew where he was supposed to go and what he was supposed to do next. If we can't seem to find God's way for our lives, maybe we need to find some godly friends to pray with us. People who can advise us. A beloved physician like Luke. And if you're mature in your spiritual life, maybe it's time you found a Timothy to encourage and instruct. God has separated you from a good friend. Keep your eyes peeled for a Silas. There's every chance God will soon bring one into your life. There are many others out there, you know. There may be a mark already in your life. Maybe they're doing better than you think. (laughs) For sure, work through any problems you might have with your Barnabas. The friendship that you have will last more than this lifetime. Maybe maybe that's the primary point. As much as anything else, we should recognize that advancing in God's plan usually is met with trouble. <laughs> but that's okay. Because in everything, God has the answer. And that answer will probably come through or even be a person. Like one of the people of Acts. The prime reason we want to go to heaven? People. Are the reason we want to be a part of the new creation in Jesus Christ. The persons who will act in our lives. The human and the divine. Let's pray. We hope that you've enjoyed this message, first heard at Living Hope Church of Westport. If you'd like to support us so we can do more, well, you'll have to work at it. We have no one-click button for giving on our webpage, southbeachhope.org. We are a tiny church in a small town and simply cannot afford either money or time to set up such a thing. But at least with our modern technology and with the help of Sermon.net, we can share the good news with you and anyone around the world. Hopefully... We'll someday be able to worship God together in person, if not in Westport, at least in the rapture.